We'll start right out with the title. Uh, why aren't you a liberal? And you'll notice there's some dots after that. Well, we better fill that in so you don't think I'm up here to preach politics, okay? It's why aren't you a liberal giver? This morning we're going to focus our message on Christian giving and not politics. Uh, giving is never a popular subject in the church, but we've got to remember we are the church. It's not a place or a building. It's really giving to the whole body of Christ. So we need to consider not just how much, but how and why we give. Uh, in Second Corinthians, let's, I think we get started there on the, the how and why. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So part of the how is in that verse. The how has to do with our attitude, I believe. Uh, but also, there's some why in there. Not sparingly, but liberally. Hence the title, okay? Uh, not grudgingly, but joyfully. That has an awful lot to do with attitude. The attitude that we do anything, can say an awful lot. God's not saying, don't give if you have a little reluctance. No, he's saying, change your attitude. We had a son, have still have five of them. Uh, <laughs> but one of our sons in particular was born with a negative attitude. He didn't even like for his mother to cuddle him. She would pick him up and he would just kind of uh, like that. But as he grew up, that attitude would show itself. So once in a while, as parents, we would help him adjust his attitude. <laughs> and it worked. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to adjust your attitude. But God may be working on you someplace along the way to, to begin adjusting your attitude. So it is an attitude that... Uh, is honoring to God. Another part of the house is it's not all about money. Money? Yeah. That's needed to keep the building open, the lights on, the heat on. You don't want to come in here and freeze to death anyway. But also, it's about time and energy. Praying with a few men this morning before this, and one of them was just praying about that. About time and energy from people helping. So there must be a need. Since I'm one of those who's responsible to give financially here in the church, you can't say, well, he's only preaching to line his pockets, because he's not going to line my pockets a bit. 
It's for the glory and honor of the God who has given all we need to in turn show our gratitude and thankfulness to him in how and why we give. Now the question in the title is one that I really take personally. Why aren't you a liberal giver? Well, I can come up with all kinds of excuses. And I'm sure you can too. I am so busy that I don't have any time for this or that. But God says, wait a minute. I had time enough and care enough to send my son for you. So I pray that we'll both be challenged and encouraged in our liberality as we go through this this morning. Now, I've used three hymn titles in the three divisions of what I hope to cover this morning. First one is Standing on the Promises. We were singing it at the opening. And this, by the way, we start filling in blanks now, <coughs> uh, reminds us of the re- reliability of God's promises. You know, even when circumstances are not great, He's still there. And he will see us through. Sometimes it's our, his purpose to put us through that, to help us grow and mature a little bit. The other hymn that I had picked up is Thy Loving Kindness. And here we focus on the enduring love and kindness God has displayed to each of us, providing hope, security, and fellowship through his Son. This has a lot to do with why we give. Thankfulness for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Gratitude. Give out of gratitude. For this security, the eternal security he has given us in Christ. And an appreciation for the fellowship that we have within the body of Christ. You know, there's a tremendous amount of fellowship in doing together. I think men are really good at that. You don't talk a whole lot until you're doing something together. And then it's easy to talk. And the more you do, the more you can talk and enjoy the fellowship together. I'll even hit that a little more later on, hopefully. But it all has to do with our attitude. Some uh, come along with a negative attitude. Remember, don't. The last one, though, was I surrender all. What a great opportunity God has given each of us to surrender all he has blessed us with to support his work and workers. You know, IRS doesn't come into that. (laughs) Uh, If your motive is, well... I'll give because, wait a minute, if that's your only motive, go back and examine motives. Remember, thankfulness, generosity, all of those things, that's why we give. IRS, that's a sideline. By the way, financially, that might enable you to give a little more, but that's another topic, not even one I want to touch on 
our scripture text for this morning. It will mainly come from the book of Exodus. Uh, it's going to feature the challenges and opportunities that God placed before Moses and the Hebrew children as they prepared to leave Egypt and travel on through the wilderness. They had problems of honoring God, too, with all that he had given them. Okay, we're, we're going to start entering into this. Now, Moses is a more mature man than he was when he was all fired up about leading the Hebrew children, you know, as a young man, out and he committed murder in his enthusiasm and zeal. Well, 40 years have elapsed since that happened. And he's been out there on the other side of the desert, herding sheep in God's school of sheep herding and learning a whole lot. Now he's finding that, that it's God's time to move, not his. He was 40, 40 years early on this. And as some of us who become a little more mature realize we have some real spiritual limitations. We have some real human limitations. And God, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to be in it or it's going to be a mess. So that's where I think he is. Because he stands and argues with God about, God, I'm not qualified to do all of this. You better find somebody else. And he could come up with excuse after excuse if you read through his conversation with God. But he finally realizes, this is going to go God's way and not mine. Realizing our limitations, by the way, is not a bad thing. We can let God step in and fill in the blanks. So after being convinced it's going to go God's way and not his, he begins listening to God's direction. And that's where we begin in Exodus 3. Exodus 3 and verse 16. We're going to read from 16 to 20, and there are six promises to look for as we read. So let's, let's read them and look for them. 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaanite and a Hittite and an Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will <coughs> pay heed to what you say. And you, with the elders of Israel, will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. For every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, and thus you will plunder the Egyptians. 
You might be saying, where in the world is he going with this? Six promises I saw in here. So let's uh, begin going down through them. But I'm going to interject one other thought. Care has to be taken when we look at the promises given in the Old Testament and how we apply them. They cannot be taken always literally. They were given to the people of Israel and not to us. But we do get a very good view of the character and wishes of God as we examine these kinds of promises. So the first one, promise of God's concern. You saw that in verse 16. God is concerned and he can and he will do what he has stated is going to happen. He's not going to go back on his word. He has a concern for you. But sometimes we go along and we feel like, well, I've gone through an awful lot and God sure isn't showing much concern as to what's happening to me now. We just get all wrapped up in ourselves and rather what God may be trying to do through these circumstances. Remember, Moses' first attempt had been 40 years ago. And he was employing the enthusiasm and zeal of men and not the will of God. But God doesn't care for me. That's the attitude that we show sometimes when we're going through these t- tough times. He cares. He has concern. And he's going to be there when the time is right. When it's his time. The second promise was a promise of well, what we're looking for. A promise of deliverance. I'm going to do it in my time. They had been slaves for 400 years, for generations. They'd grown up there. They didn't know anything different. Remember, they'd started out as about 70 people coming into the land. And God had left them there. And although it wasn't the most pleasant circumstances, they had grown from being this little band of brothers to a nation of about two million or more people. God says, now you're at the size, I'm ready to begin working with you and make you a nation. Make you a total people. We go through some pretty hard circumstances they had in slavery, but this was God's way for them. It's also an illustration, though, to those of you that are sitting here and you don't know anything about living in the family of God or being a member of the body of Christ or being saved. It's a picture of deliverance from the sin and bondage that weighs us down in our state before God before we accept his deliverance. So keep that picture in mind also. The third promise, it's a promise to Moses. The people will hear the message. I could relate to that one. Yeah. Are the people going to hear the message? It's not mine, it's God's. So try to listen. 
Moses, at this time, was very fearful of the, accept, of the acceptance he was going to have. Remember, he left as a wanted man. He left as a mistrusted man by his own people. But God took him out there and left him for 40 years, changing. God does change us when we are willing to trust him. Moses has been changed through these 40 years. 40 years of herding sheep. That's a big change from the king's palace out to herding sheep in the backside of the desert. But how have you been changed in God's special schooling? I didn't use special ed because that reflects on me sometimes. Okay? Do you have a story to share of what God has done? That can be part of giving too. If you say, well, yeah, God's done some things that I never expected in my life. And you take an opportunity and share it with others. It's amazing how much encouragement we can receive from one another. That's fellowship in the body of Christ. Number four, promise trouble along the way. I don't like this promise. I don't know about you. I don't like trouble. I like to, to, to move around it and ignore it and maybe it'll go away. If you don't believe me, there's a lady over here you can ask about that later on. <sighs> me, I'm, as a, maybe some of you, I like comfort, immediate gratification. That doesn't mean that trouble isn't true, though. If comfort at any cost is your motto, then uh, meaningful change is needed. A change of attitude. And God can take care of that. Change, like Moses, comes through passing through troubled times in the power of God's Spirit. That's how we change. Not on New Year's resolutions, necessarily. Unless they're made in the power of God's spirit. The fifth one, though, is the promise. Just notice, promise. Okay. Egypt will suffer God's wrath. Now, this is one I like. I, I like them like this when, you know, when the other guy is going to hurt because he was bad. But wait a minute. Isn't that the same kind of wrath of God I had coming to me before the mercy and grace of God reached into my life and heart. And I have to acknowledge it's only by the grace and mercy of God that I will not suffer that kind of wrath. What do you do when you receive a gift like that? Thank you, God. How can I show my gratitude for what you've done? Hmm. I'd start setting up an attitude of giving, maybe. 
finally, of this section, there's a promise. God's unmerited favor and reward. That's down in verses 21 and 22. This one just always blows me away. They've been slaves there. They've worked hard. And God says, all you have to do is, as you get ready to leave is ask the people around you to give, give you your, their silver and gold and, cl- and extra clothes. And they're going to do it. Hmm. God says, take it and leave. You see, that's part of God's deliverance. He is delivering them. He's providing for them. And they are going to need and use this provision later on, hopefully in very wise ways. And to the glory of God. So, these are gifts from God. Not plunder in the, in the thought of stealing from the Egyptians. They're willingly giving it up. But as we look back over this, and we think of it all, and think of turning loose of some of the things and time and energy that I have, how much of what you have did you really get on your own? Oh, I know, we can go into the hard work. I can match you moment for moment, right on from... Oh, wait a minute. I was born here. I didn't choose to be born here. I was born with relatively good health and strength. And I've been able to make a profit because of where I live, where God has placed me. And a reasonable amount of peace and comfort, all because of where God has placed me, not because of what I've been able to do or how outstanding I was. Visit our read about Christians in, in a third world country and then say, I have all the comforts of home coming. Our eyes were opened many years ago down in El Salvador. We took one of those, as a public school teacher, I had down in Arizona several weeks, months off. And so we were going to do this big and wonderful thing and go down and help some refugees, literal refugees in El Salvador. So we loaded up the van and hooked on the travel trailer and drove from Phoenix through Mexico, Guatemala, and into El Salvador. That was a big deal. But you know what? It wasn't near as big a deal as what we learned while we were there. You see, these refugees had been living in caves and cardboard shacks when they were found by the missionary we were going down to assist. And now they were being paid a minimal wage for the, for the area to help build homes they were going to live in. There was a lot of thankfulness there, but, and there was a huge amount of joy there too. But you know what? That joy became a shared joy. Because although they had nothing, they had nothing but the joy of the Lord in their hearts. 
and we were able to enjoy that together, I spoke very minimal Spanish, knew a little bit about building, and that's why I was there. But I was working with brothers in the Lord who did not speak any English either. And as we worked along, we realized we knew some of the same hymns. There was just one problem. They knew them in Spanish, and I knew them in English. So as we worked, what did we do? We'd sing together. They would sing in Spanish. I would sing in English. And they shared the joy of the Lord with me as we worked. One old man who was there who didn't join in the singing, he was quiet. In fact, he was about the age of my father at that time. Don Juan, never forget him. He gave as he could. And that was through his hard work and labor and always being available. The the houses were built on large stone type uh, foundations. So if a big two or three man stone need to be rolled in place, Don Juan was one of the first ones there to help. If there was a wheelbarrow full of concrete that had to be moved someplace, he had his hands on it and he was going. Never spoke. I learned a little bit about him. He, he was one of those refugees. and He had lived in Honduras. And as he was driven out of Honduras, he had witnessed family and friends treated with a machete. And he was thankful to be out with his life. And the little house he was helping build was going to be for one of his sons and his daughter-in-law and his grandchildren, and he was going to get to live there too. But when it came time to say goodbye, that was a tough time. You see down there, they don't just say, oh, goodbye, have a good trip. It's an embrasso. Big bear hug and say Goodbye. The man that had never spoken to me was there too, with tears in his eyes, saying goodbye in love and appreciation for what we had, little we had done, but also for what God was doing in his life and in his family. Respond in love, care, and concern. God's loving kindness shines down on us in strange circumstances sometimes. Let's look at his loving kindness together. For a fuller view of what God's loving kindness, we'll visit chapters 12 to 15 in Exodus. No, we won't read all of that. Uh, Wouldn't have time, would we? Uh, In chapter 12, we will read a little bit there. Uh, In verses 3, in verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household, to go down to seven. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. See, this was the Passover. 
This was the beginning of the Passover. But it was also the tenth of the plagues that had fallen upon Egypt. Let's review those plagues. Remember, first was the, the water of the Nile was turned to blood. Then the second one, frogs overran the countryside. Third, people and animals were infested with gnats. And fourth, flies covered the countryside and the people. Six, disease killed all the livestock of Egypt. Oh, notice of Egypt. The Hebrew children didn't suffer that plague. They were there. Boils and sores infected the Egyptians and their animals. Oh, God's being a little bit uh, caring. Seven, hail destroyed the crops and vegetation. Eight, locusts covered the land. And nine, darkness for three days. Each one of these had, in the eyes of the Hebrew children and in the lives of the eyes of the Egyptians, destroyed gods that they worshipped and trusted in. Now, the final one, which was the firstborn, which represented the, the Pharaoh himself, because his son is going to be the one to replace him, and they are always viewed as a god. So when this plague of at the Passover hit and the firstborn was each was found dead, there was a huge uprising. But in verse 20, get a little ahead of myself. Go, go down to verses 24 in chapter 12. We will read a little bit here. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And it will come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, that you, will, you shall observe this right. And it will come about when your children will say to you, What does this right mean to you? That you will say, It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so, he, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out of from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and, and go and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the claws on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. 
For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Hmm. First, he gives them this ordinance. Tells them ahead of time. This is a continuing ordinance that I want you to remember every year. When you get in the land and then share it with your children. What has happened at the time of the Passover? How you were spared. And how this was a deliverance for you out of the land. Kind of similar to our remembrance here together with the bread and the cup. Remembering how God has delivered us. So we look at this as God's ordinance of remembrance. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have a lot to be thankful for there. Second point, down in verses 30 and 33. uh, Pharaoh orders, basically, leave now. Get out. I don't want you here any longer. You've caused enough heartache. Okay, those are my words. But anyway, I think you get the, the despair and the anger and the hurt that is in the hearts of all of the people. They had been given the opportunity to honor God and allow, but they had rejected it. And therefore they had passed through. Now, ten plagues. Showing to them that the God of the Hebrews is greater and mightier than all of your gods. And showing to the Hebrew children, trust in the God who is delivering you. Not in anything you've witnessed while you've been here. It's finally time, and God says go. (laughs) But that last part, down in 35 and 36, says request gold, silver, and clothes from the Egyptians. Take it and leave. Go away. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. That's the deliverance of one of God's promises. He promised them this would come. And he's delivering on it now. It's no small amount either, by the way. Two million people requesting from all of those around them, uh, give me your gold and silver and some extra clothes. That's a whole bunch of plunder. And they willingly gave it to them. Well, as we drop down to number four, take a look over in in, uh, chapter 13, uh, 21 and 22. And the Lord was going before them in the pillar of, of cloud by day and led them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before them. You see, God is giving them in four here, protection and direction. You say, well, what kind of protection is that there? You've never lived in the desert, have you? I grew up down in the desert in Arizona. 
on a hot summer day and the clouds roll in, let me tell you, oh, that's relief. When it was 115 the day before and you get a cloudy day, you say, thank you, Lord, for a little relief. You dropped the temperature down to 100 today. <laughs> hey. But also it was direction. They, they were going to be led by this. They would be shown the way. They were not going to pick their way through the wilderness. God was going to show them the way he wanted them to go. Over in, in uh, chapter 14, we're going to see that uh, there was a promise of trouble comes. In 14, 1 to 9, take a look at it. We won't read all of that, but I want you to see that the trouble did come. How, how could trouble come? They've shooed you out and you're on your... God's showing them the way and he takes them right up to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh has a change of heart. He decides, that was stupid. The people that have been serving us all of these centuries, we just let them go. Let's go after them. So he takes off with all of his chariots and horses and army, and they're after them, and they overtake them, and the children of Israel look back and see them coming, and, oh, despair, despair. But remember that cloud? God used it again for their protection. Because in, uh, four, in chapter 14, uh, Verse 13, they're, they're given the word that God will fight for you. It's his direction, not mine. In verse 19 then, take a look at that. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Pharaoh's army couldn't even see them. They had them in their sights, but they couldn't overtake them. God provided his protection at this point. You go down to verse 30 and you'll see that they have crossed the Red Sea safely. And what do they see all around them? Dead Egyptians. Not a beautiful sight. But it's the total sign of their deliverance out of Egypt. God has provided for their deliverance. And the enemies that were there closing in behind them are gone forever. God has delivered on that promise also. In chapter 15 of Exodus, now we can't read all of that there, because it's all a song of praise and thanksgiving. It's a praise to the Lord led by Miriam. Well, that's Moses' sister. Down in the latter part of that, it, it, you get the idea. And it brings to mind for me the old, uh, I, I guess it was a camp song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. A horse and rider fell into the sea. I was all, almost wishing we could sing that together now. But, you know... They were rejoicing in the Lord. 
because of what God had done unexpectedly for them. They couldn't visualize that anything like this would happen. God has accomplished the impossible. And all they could do is stop and say, Praise to the Lord. He has delivered us beyond what we could ever have imagined. How often do you sing praises to the Lord for the deliverance He has had in your life? Not just for your salvation, which is wonderful and mighty, but also some of those daily deliverances that you're thankful for, but don't give him credit for, possibly. When you're my age, every day is a victory of mercy and longevity. Oh, the kindness of the Lord. All our lives could be filled with the songs of praise and thanksgiving if we really zero in on where we are and why we're here. If we praise Him more with the heart and from the heart, surrendering all would be awfully easy. So let's take a final look at I Surrender All. Sorry to say the Egyptian, uh, or excuse me, the Hebrew children didn't continue on in their joyfulness. They didn't focus on the loving kindness of God. They participated in a whole lot of grumbling and mumbling and groaning and complaining about the water this and the food that. And we're having to wait and we don't like that and all kinds of inconveniences without ever realizing what a wonderful deliverance they were enjoying. You know, they even allowed fear to enter in and keep this generation from entering into the promised land. So they wandered around out there for another 40 years, getting their attitudes changed of the next generation so that they might be ready to go in and rejoice in what God was giving them. But the time came along the way, even out there in the wilderness, when... When they were encouraged and the glory of the Lord was revealed and grateful hearts could speak out and build a tabernacle for the worship of the God. So that's where we really want to go is back into chapter 35 now because that's where they are building the tabernacle where they will meet and rejoice. 35, uh, 4 and 5. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze. And you could just read on down through that long list of things that he's saying. If you have it, God says bring it on in if you're of a willing heart. Now that little bit about a willing heart suggests to me that uh, God was leaving it up to, you, to them. Do you really want to do this? Do you really have some appreciation for what God has done in your life? Or do you just want to say, me first, I'll keep it. I earned this over in Egypt, I'll just keep it in my pocket. 
So they gave all of the things that that God had suggested. Where were those valuables from? How had they acquired them? Oh, remember the plundering of Egypt? Hmm. Coming out of Egypt. How are you participating today in giving the time, energy, and wealth that God has given you? We get into that other how right now as we move into number two. The, a variety of skills and abilities are needed. This kind of reminds me of the local church. Uh, all kinds of things need to be done and can be done. And remember, the church is not the building here. The church is the body of believers here. And I was a blessed part of that some time back when we had some trees that were damaged in the storm. The last few days remind you of that. Uh, and we had to have them cut down and I had service come out and cut them up into lengths and I was going to split them and stack them. And then the reality of my age started catching up with me. After the first few swings of that uh, splitting mall that didn't split because this was hardwood stuff. And one of the blessed younger families came over one afternoon with their splitter, the dad and the kids too, and split all that stuff up and stacked it to dry. And we're, we're being warmed with it this winter, by the way. That's participating in the body of Christ. What skills do you have that you're not using? You know, they change as we get older. Mine have changed. I find that I don't split wood easily anymore. When I was a young man, I was a, a teacher, but I was also a furniture mover. Couldn't get my kids to stop eating in the summertime. Uh, so the job that had finished putting me through college, which was working for Beacons Van and Storage as a mover, my wife liked to tell others if she heard they had a piano to move or a whole house full to move that, oh, Eddie will come and help you. Ah, don't be hard on her. I loved it too. Some of those were wonderful times of fellowship together. Not drinking coffee down in Arizona, but boy, the iced tea was good. And the fellowship was good. And, and, and so I did that, and I continued doing a little of that after we moved up here. And then my age started catching up with me, and I had to say to her one day, hey, uh, when you hear those things, just forget that uh, that's what I used to do. My older, more mature body doesn't stand up under that. So we change with age. And therefore, we contribute in different ways with age, possibly. But there's no retirement in Christian service. There's only giving and blessing and showing thankfulness right till the day he takes us. I'm encouraged by some of those who are maybe not older than I am, but certainly in body less frail, that they're still here when they can be. You see, that can be an encouragement. Encouragement to 
some of the younger ones who don't always feel like being here. But when you see a brother in a wheelchair or something like that, and he has to be pushed in, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So they had their willing contributions, skills and abilities. Number three, heart motivation moved the people. In verses 21 and 24 in chapter 35 tells us that it was, they were moved in the heart. And sometimes I've heard, well, oh, there shouldn't be any emotion in giving. What do you mean? Giving is all about emotion. I don't mean emotional pleas to get you worked up so you will give. But I mean, the emotion of realizing, man, I have this only because of the blessings and the love of God. I can do this only because God has equipped me to do it. And showing the gratitude that way. So the heart motivation moved the people. There were specialized tasks valued also. That's four. They needed to work with uh, fine linen and goat's hair. Now, I can just hear some <clears throat> ladies, I'm not picking on you here, but some ladies saying, well, oh, I can, I can work with fine linen and make wonderful linen tablecloths and, and, and napkins and all of those things. But Susie over there, she's really good at goat's hair. Why? Goat's hair isn't the nicest thing to work with or be around. In fact, we just departed with our loving pet goats the other day. They're a lot of fun, but they're not the most pleasant hair to be around at times. But you know what? Someone has to work with goat's hair. There are those jobs and those ways of of making contribution that you might relate to goat's hair. They need to be done. And they'll only be done in the joy of the Lord if they're done right. There were valuable skills and abilities given by God's Spirit for five in verses 31 to 35, we're told that they were gifted by the Spirit, but refined through practice and instruction. I don't want to try to work with hammered silver or gold. That is not my thing. But God had given that fine arts ability to some of those there. I have a daughter-in-law who is very talented in fine arts. That's wonderful. I'm not. And we have to recognize and accept the differences in the way God has gifted each one of us. But all of these were given by the Spirit of God. You know, they're also refined and trained sometimes. You, you learn a little more. I know as a youngster, I like to work with wood. There's no doubt about that. And I, some of my skills still need to be refined greatly. But 
you only refine them through practice and working on it and learning more about it. And we're fortunate to have those who serve us regularly here who have gone through seminary and Bible school and have all of that formal training. You see, my formal training was in Arizona State University Sun Devils. That's just the way it goes. It was a wonderful teacher education school. It prepared me for 42 years of working with middle schools. And if you want that, I'm sure there's someone around that will equip you and help you do it. But I loved it. But there were some things that I learned in that uh, ASU that probably don't want to share up here today or any day. But you know, there's a there's the ability and the possibility if you feel unprepared along that line like I did of letting Bob Weeks pick on you and get you to go to Bible study fellowship. How many here have participated in Bible study fellowship over the years? Boy, there's a lot of hands there. The main focus of BSF, as we call it, is equipping people to go back into their church and be useful. Now, I know that that sometimes puts a little break in what some ministry may need, but when you can think of being better equipped to do a job that will glorify God more, all I can say is go for it. There's plenty of need around here to be equipped for. VBS, Awana, missions opportunities, the more training in the Word, and in attitudes about the Word you can receive, the better you will be able to serve. And in chapter 36, we find that they followed God's plan and received all that was needed for the work. And finally, they even received more than they needed for the work that was to be done. That would be a wonderful problem to have in any local church. To have more volunteers to help than you could use. I see and almost hear some amens on that. But you know, nothing could have been done for the honor of God among the Hebrew children that in that if there hadn't been willing, liberal givers. Because there were some back there, remember, who probably didn't give at all. Hopefully, if you are one of those, you'll examine your attitudes and motives. Are you a willing, liberal giver for Christ? In Galatians 6.6, 6, we learn that the one who is taught will share all good things with him who teaches. That usually is monetary. But I know Pastor Jim is often looking for other ways for people to work or help. The elders also are. Be ready. More than we can see or realize is sometimes done by 
those who spend their lives here. Maybe we need to be here and see what's done and appreciate it even more. Are you standing on the promises or just sitting in the premises? How joyfully are you supporting the work of God, both financially and physically? Is it time for an attitude change? When will you surrender your wallet and your time to the Lord? Prayerfully consider how and why God wants you to give for the glory of the one who has met your eternal needs. Can we ever match what he has given for us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful gift that we have in Christ. Thank you so much for the fellowship we enjoy because of Christ. Thank you for the continuing security that we know of in him. And now just open our hearts to be those who will give, who will serve, and who will do it joyfully because of all that Christ has done for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.